Well, now this, this happened about somewhere around 10 years ago. And I was working for the government as a game technician on the Fort Huachuca Military Reservation. And uh, they used me a lot there. That game management is kind of their public relations man. And at that time, game management was by far the most popular place on that army post. And any time that a soldier got an hour or two off, it was always down there to, to game management. And I would tell them hunting stories and had a bunch of pictures there, and I'd show them some pictures. And and uh, the boss there at game management was a, had a college education, which I didn't, and that's the reason that he had that job, because he had that piece of paper that showed that he had four years of college and uh, majored in wildlife and fisheries. And so one day there, well, there was a whole crowd in there, and I was uh, telling them about roping and tying lines, and I happened to look around, and, and there was a couple of soldiers standing over there listening to it. And so one of them put his fingers up to his head and then brought it out and turned it around and, and around and pointed to me and just telling that partner of his that I was nuts and that I was crazy or a big liar or something or telling those stories about roping and tying lines, and I never pretended like that I seen him or knew anything about it. And after it all, they finally left, and we went, I think, off to lunch. Well, there was Larry Ethelball. There was three of us civilians working there, and then we had uh, off and on different soldiers, but they'd all have to have a college education to work there, and they all had it except me. So when we started the lunch that day, I told Larry Ethelball. Now, he, that Ethelball is an Indian name. His father was a half Apache Indian, and his mother was an Irish woman. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't look like an Indian. He was small, tall and slender and real wiry, and he was interested in hounds, had been before I got there. But when I got there, well, his hounds amounted to just about, well, five cents a piece would have been a big price for him because it wasn't any good as far as big game was concerned or just about catching anything. And, but we were training him up a pack, and before I left there, well, he had a good pack of lion dogs, and I had a good pack, several of them. And uh, so... I told Larry, I said, now listen, Larry, I want you to start these soldiers here to building a good crate to hold a line in because we're going to go up here and we're going to rope a big male line that's running right back here, and I've been knowing he's been in there uh, making that country every once in a while for quite a while. And I said, I just want to show these guys around here that thinks that I'm full of prunes that we can rope and tie a big line. Well, now, see, you got to prepare and have everything ready when you're going to do this kind of stuff. So 
I said, well, now, Larry, there's lots of big trees up in these mountains. And I said, sometimes it's 50 and 60 feet to the first limb. And I said, a man would have to have climbers and be able to use them to be safe and not know that he is going to get killed by climbing one of those big trees like this. So we got to find somebody that go along with us and climb the tree and put on that line, put that rope on that line because neither one of us couldn't get up the tree. I said, I can rope, I can put the rope on him if I can get up the trees. But I said, I'm not a very good tree climber. And besides, I'm not going to try. So that afternoon while we went down to the power plant, that meant the electricians that take care of all that, the electricians, work and they was all pole climbers and we they were good friends of ours and we was always visiting back and forth so old Larry and I walked in there and I said uh, can you guys climb trees as well as poles and they said well yeah we can climb trees and one of them spoke up and says well I can climb any tree in the Warchuca Mountains I said well now what do you want? I said, well, now, here's the idea. We're going to go up there and rope and tie a big male line. And would you climb that tree if there was a big line in it? Because if you just climb it without the line, that wouldn't do us no good. Well, he says, I've never seen a line wild out in the, in the mountains. But if you'd tell me what to do and how to do it, I'll climb the tree and put the rope on him. And I said, oh. That's what I'm looking for. He says, well, I will. And I said, all right, you get ready soon because we're going to go up there and rope, rope and tie that big line. And I know there's one ranging right up in there, and we haven't been trying to catch him. We've been finding his sign in there for quite a while. And I know that he's making that country fairly regular. And that old boy says, well, that would tickle me to death to get to go says, but I haven't got anything to ride. I said, I'll furnish you an animal. You'll have something to ride. And I said, he said, well, when do you think it's going to be? I said, well, this is the first of the week. We've got to get a cage built and be all ready and have a lock on that one of those big tanks up there where we, when we bring him in, we can put him in there and, and lock him up so anybody can't get into him and somebody gets hurt or anything. So they could cause us a lot of trouble. And I said, we'll get everything done this week, and we'll probably go up there next Sunday. We're not going to try to do anything on Army time. It's going to be on ours, and we're off weekends. So the finishing, we'll fin put the finishing touches to everything on Saturday, and Sunday we'll go up there. He said, all right, I'll be ready to go. So there was a soldier working there for us, and, oh, he liked to go, and we'd let him go once in a while. And if I got a soldier down there that was wanting to go, and he wouldn't help take care of those hounds and water them and the, take care of those, I had four mules and take care of my mules and stuff. But, you know, I had a horse and three mules at that time. And take care of those animals, well, I just wouldn't let him go. One guy come up and said, uh, soldier been working there quite a while, and said, what's the matter? He said, you don't never let me go with you. And I said, no, and I'm never going to. 
Well, he says, I want to know why. I says, you've never offered to help take care of any of that stuff down there, the dogs or the horses or anything else. And I said, if you think you're going to sit around here, and I asked you one day to do something, and you wouldn't do it. And I said, you'll never go. Well, he said, I didn't know what, that was the reason. I said, well, you know it now. Well, I'll get out down there and do something. I said, no, you need to bother, because I don't want you to, because you're not going anyway. So anyway, well, we got everything all set, got everything ready, and it was in the spring of the year, and the trading conditions were good, and the and the, there was just little patches of snow on the north hillside. I think it was in March. So that Sunday we loaded up two pickups with two horse trailers. Each pickup had a two horse trailer, and we pulled it up one of these main canyons, Garden Canyon on the east side of the Warchukas. So an old cabin up there which was probably five miles up this canyon, maybe six, some five miles, six, somewhere along there. And that put us in close to a low saddle that was on the main divide between two, kind of two different parts of this mountain. It was a fairly low saddle, and we parked there, and, and we started out early, and got up there and took out our saddle animals and our dogs and turned them loose. Well, we turned back south along the ridge there, and we went out of the reservation on a trail, then went away and come back into the reservation. Well, just before, though, we got into the reservation, well, these hounds picked up this track. It just crossed the trail. <clears throat> and I jumped off from a saddle animal and looked right there, and there's where this big old male lion had come the hill. And he made a big track. <clears throat> and I could tell the way those hounds are starting it, I thought it was going to be a good running track. And I said, Larry, this is our, our line. We want him. And I, I think when them hounds get lined out, this is going to be a good running track. Now, they're going on this Peterson Peak here, which is a rugged mountain. Now, we can get up on it by horseback from here. But if they go off on the other side, we can't get off with any speed. And if they're carrying that track fast, they'll get away from us. So you get off and take care from a foot. And you follow those dogs a foot. And if you go off of this mountain, you try to make me a sign so I can see it because I'm going to circle this mountain here. And I should hear those dogs somewhere. But if I don't, you make me a sign, and I'll come in the direction you're going, and wherever you are, well, I'll find you somewhere. So <clears throat> he did, and I took his saddle animal and let it, these other fellows came in behind me on their saddle animals, and away we went. We went over there and hit a good-sized canyon that went down by the side of this mountain and a trail down it they call Lyle Canyon. It runs out on the west side of the Warchukas. And when we got out pretty well down towards the foothills, where the, we were still in the mountains, but we were way down from the main divide, the, here was a trail of coming around this mountain course. I knew where all those trails were. So we come around and went way around and hit another canyon. I forgot the name of it, 
that run right up against that mountain that the dogs was coming up on. And we rode up it quite a ways, and then the trail turned out to the right. And I stopped there to listen and stayed there quite a little while. And after a while, I heard way up on that mountain, the old hounds were saying, wow, 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 wow. And I said, boys, they're treed. But it looks like they're treeding them big bluffs up yonder. And uh, we can't handle a line in those. If he's down in those bluffs, we we got to get him out. So we started just riding right on up there. And we hit this steep hill that went up towards the foot of this bluff and looked up there. And there was a line and a little old bitty dead pinyon tree. He wasn't but just a few feet from the ground. And there was one of my old hounds, it looked like, that he is hanging on a bluff there with just his toenails, and he was had a bad hind leg because he'd been broken the stifle and it never did get well. He was kind of crippled, but he was a well-trained hound and a good line hound. And he was a white and spotted hound, and he was half walker and half black and tan. I called him Joe. And I said, look at old Joe. I said, he's Looks to me like from here that he's just hanging on that bluff up there on that rock with his toenails. And if he falls off of there, well, that's it. Because he'll fall a long way and it'll, it's a sense that it'll kill him. And I said, we got to get that line out of that bluff to ever do anything with him. And as we kept a riding up close to him, well, I went to talking loud to them guys and, and the horses Saddle animals was coming along. I had one horse and three mules. Well, they was rolling rocks, and that old lion got to looking down at us. And I said, oh, look at him. He acts like he's getting nervous, and that's what we want. So we just kept a riding right straight towards him, and when we was probably 200 yards from the foot of that bluff, and it was real steep and having a hard time, the animals was climbing it, well, that old lion jumped out, and he come right out over all t- the top of a bunch of those dogs, and we could see Ethelball, old Larry, standing way up there on a rock looking down on the dogs and the lion, and that lion running through those bluffs and hit the, the top of them and turned to the left, and he didn't go over 200, 300 yards, maybe not that far, and treed. And we heard them, was watching them when they went out of those bluffs. And we sat there till they treed. And I said, boys, they've treed again. So let's go. So we rimmed around that big bluff then and got up in under the the rim that wasn't near as high. And it was that was broken where a man could get up through there a foot, but a saddle animal couldn't. And we got around there and jumped off of our animals and we took off her shafts and spurs and all that, and we grabbed her ropes. Now, I made four little short pieces of ropes just like a pig and string that you tie a calf down with and tied a loop in each end of them that they were to tie the line with. And then we took a couple of catch ropes or light ropes, we call them, that you rope just like you rope calves and things with when you're branding them, and we took two of them, and then we had a set of, we call them panniers. 
Some people call them pack bags. They're made out of real heavy canvas, and these were big. And we figured they were big enough to put a big line in them. So when we took it, and up there we went. Well, when we walked up to this tree, that line was up a big old spreading juniper. And the tree wasn't high, and the line couldn't get high. But, of course, it had lots of limbs, and and they're, you know, an evergreen. Their leaves are always green. And I looked at that tree, and I said, well, this is about too good too good to be true because I don't believe that he'll stay in this tree while we get a rope on him. But I said, uh, a man with just about no two, no arms and no legs could climb this tree because his limbs right from the on the ground plumb up. And it was branched up our ways and it was just a big spreading tree. And I imagine the line is up there, oh, 20 feet, maybe. 22 or 3, something like that. So I said, well, now, Henderson, that's your job to put the put that rope on that line. So you might as well climb this tree. You don't have to use no climbers or nothing. And he said, well, all right, how am I going to do it? Turn around that soldier. I said, say, you go cut one of those small oak limbs. It's about six to eight feet long. It's got a fork on the end. And you just leave that fork there and bring it down here. So he had to hatch it. So he ran up and got this limb, brought it down there. So I just cut the ends of the limbs where they forked there. I just cut them off to where there's probably a foot long. And then there was a little limb there kind of growing out from this limb. And I cut it off. And that was the idea that you could put a loop on it. Well, now, you people take real good notice because thousands of you have seen the roping and tying of this very line that I'm telling about. Well, I'll fix this loop on this forked stick and got that fellow up in the tree. Well, when he was up in the tree, his feet wasn't over three or four feet above my head so I eased the that stick up to him with the loop on the fork and told him I said just ease it up there now and fool around and don't get in a hurry and he'll probably knock it off several times and you'll have to put the loop back up but if you'll just be easy with him and keep fooling with him you can slip that loop over his head and when you slip that loop over his head, well, don't jerk it or anything, but let it come up to where it's just kind of a little snug around his neck. And then we'll tie up these hounds and get ready to jerk him out in time. So I imagine it took him, oh, I didn't time it, but somewhere around 10, 15 minutes to put, and he kept knocking it off, and he just kept working with him easy and, now in a minute he said to me, he said, I've got it on his, I've got it around his neck. And I said, well, come on down. And he come on down and, and we had little ropes there to tie the dog. So we pulled them back up above the tree, back up in some bushes there and tied them all. Now you want to tie them good because you, if you can keep from it, you don't want any dog getting loose 
while you're tying that line because that makes a big difficulty then. So we got the dogs tied, and so one of these boys, this Larry Ethelball, had been with me when I'd caught several lines, but those other two had never seen a wild line out in the mountains before. So I said, okay, boys, here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going to jerk that line right out of the tree, and he's going to hit right here. I found, I knew right where the line was going to hit, and I said, uh, this soldier was named Chichester, and I said, Chichester, you and Henderson is going to pull that line out. Henderson's uh, the electrician that clumbed the tree. And I said, Larry Ethelboy and I are going to get right down here, and when that line hits the ground, Larry Ethelboy is going to grab him by the tail, and you fellas are going to hold that rope that's around his neck, and I'm going to tie him. I, I said, now, we can't choke that line too much, because if you choke them unconscious, you're always taking chances on killing them, because they do choke easy. And... So we talked there a little while, and I said, well, are you fellas ready? And they said, well, we're, I guess, near ready as we'll ever be. So I told Henderson and Chichester, I said, now, listen, when you start out with that line, you come out with him fast, because don't let him get a hold of those limbs with his feet up there and hold on and choke some up in that tree, because that can happen. Well... I knew good and well why the line was going to hit when he come out. So I told, give him, told him what was going to happen. When he hit the ground, Larry Ethelball was going to get him by the tail, and I was going to tie him. So I said, yank him out. Well, now, he held a little bit for a little while up there, but not long, and he come out. And that thing hit right in front of Larry and I, right where, where I told him he would. And I said to Larry, get him by the tail. Well, he jumped and grabbed that line by the tail, and that line just socked his hind feet right in the ground, and we were on a, a, a slope, but it wasn't real steep, and just went right straight in the air and jerked right loose from him. And I said, Larry, I can't time him in there. You get a hold of that tail and hold his tail. And he jumped and grabbed his tail again, and the line swung him around and swung him right loose. And I said, Larry, you little son of a gun, hold that line's tail so I can tie him. Now, we can't choke him too much because he's a-fighting that rope. And he jumped and grabbed his tail again, and the line got right loose from him. And he just stopped and looked at me, and he said, Dale, I'm not stout enough to hold that line's tail. So I said, Henderson, get down here and help him hold this line of steel. And Chichester, you dally around that tree and do it quick and get down here and let's get going. Because he's a fighting that rope and he's choking some. But he's not bad yet. And I said, Chichester, if I say slack that rope, well, you slack it. And we won't choke him too bad. <clears throat> so uh, Henderson come right down there. and. They both grabbed that line of tail and they, they held it. But he was right on top of his feet and crumpled down. And I said, boys, we've got to flip him over because I can't tie him and him on his feet. Well, we finally got him over on his side, and I just took my little ropes, 
the first one that I had in my hand, I had the other three in my belt, and I looped a hind foot, and then I jerked out an, another one, and I looped another hind foot, and I tied them together, and then wrapped them around his hind feet and tied them again. Then I stepped up to his front end, and I looped those front feet just the same way and tied them together. And then I stepped back and pushed his hind feet up to his front ones and tied him up with all four feet tied together. <clears throat> then we could take the, give him slack and let him get his breath good. And he was tied, but his mouth wasn't tied. And I said, okay, boys, now we've got to tie his mouth. And they said, well, now, how's that done? I said, okay. I said, take that hatchet and go up there and cut a, a green oak limb that's about, I imagine, an inch right through it, inch and a quarter, and make it about six to eight inches long. And I said, kind of round the ends and bring it and come on down here and I'll tell you just how to make it. So this soldier run up there and brought down a limb that is about right, and we rounded the ends of them all, and so right close to the end, we cut a little groove from around the stick and took the other end right near the end of it, and we took the other end and cut another groove right near the other end from around the stick. So I just took a little rope and put it in one end in the groove, and I took another little rope and put it in the other groove on the other end. And we kind of turned that line up on his back, and I just eased that stick right down there, right towards his mouth, and he just reached up and grabbed that stick. Well, now the idea was I wanted it to be sure and behind and be behind his canine touches. And when he done that, I just wrapped those little ropes right around that his nose behind that stick, and it clamped his mouth shut. And if you do cut off the air from the nose, then that stick's got their mouth propped open to where they can breathe through their mouth, and you can't smother them. And by golly, we had that line's mouth tied and his feet tied. So I said, okay, boys. Get that big pack bag. They went and got that big pack bag, and we eased that line in that pack bag on his back. And then his uh, feet was kind of sticking out, his head and his tail. But, his, but this was a big bag, and we could kind of had him crumpled up, and so we put him in it. So then we took him off the hill. And here's the way we done it. We slid that pack bag down. And we had one rope downhill and another rope uphill so where you could keep him rolling and getting away. And then if he kind of hung, the, the fellow that was below could uh, get him and pull him down the hill. So we didn't have to take him over 100 yards or so until we were to our saddle animals. And I had one real old gentle mule there that was real gentle. So we put him on one side and we put the other pack bag, they come in pairs, of course, on the other side and we filled it 
the one up with rocks until it would balance the line, which that line was a good big line. He'd weighed quite a little. And we tied it a little bit, but we couldn't tie it tight on account of you couldn't mash that line. But it wasn't too bad from our own. It was a little steep in places. And then within a, an hour and a half, imagine, while well, we were back to our pickups. So, okay, then we loaded the line, tied up right in the pickup, and we loaded our horses and our dogs, and we pulled back into game management because our office is our Fort Huachuca. And we ha was all ready, so we took that line up to that tank that we had there, that, that big old iron tank that we had a door on that we could lock, and we had the cage in this tank. So we went in and untied that line and put him in his cage and come out and locked that door, and we had him caught. Of course, we had a bucket in there so we could water him, so we didn't try to give him anything to eat for a day or two. You don't. They won't hardly eat, but in, they'll eat usually within a couple of days. And we come out. Morning, when we come to work, well, Ken Brown, he was the boss of game management, and he and I walked in just about the same time, and I sat down to my desk. I had a desk. I didn't stay at it very much. But I sat down, and he walked in his office, and just the next room, the door was open, and the telephone rang. And I answered the telephone, and I said, Game Management, Dale Lee speaking. And they said, Well, this fellow says, Oh, I'm so-and-so from the Public Relations Office here in... in uh, what would you hear on the base? And he says, it is rumored that you fellows down there roped and tied a big male line. Now, he says, is there anything to that? So I just slammed my hand over the phone so he couldn't hear me. And I said, hey, Brown, this is so-and-so from the public relations office. I said, and he wants to know if we roped and tied a big line yesterday. Now, what am I going to tell him? He said, well, the only thing you can tell him is the truth. I said, well, I wouldn't tell him anything if I wasn't going to tell him the truth. Well, he said, go ahead and tell him. He said, Dale, that is going to help game management, and that's going to put us on the mount. He said, that instead of hurting game management, that is really going to help it. So you tell him yes. So I said, yes, we did. And he said, now say, says, would you tell the story of that hunt so I can put it on tape of this, of, that, of this particular line and tell everything that happened from the time you started until you put him in the, come back and put him in the cage? He says, could you do that? I said, yes, I can. Well, he said, would you? So I slammed my hand over the phone again, and I said, say, Brown, they want the story of that hunt to put it on tape. What do you want me to do about it? Well, he said, tell him you will. Says, that'll help us. So I said, yes, I will. Well, that fellow said, now listen. Says, I'm going to give you 15 minutes to take your notes. And I'll call you back in just 15 minutes. And I hope you've got your notes and that you're all ready. Says, can you get your notes in 15 minutes? I said, yes, I can. 
And he said, you'll be ready to go and tell it right off and not have to hum and haw about it because it'll be on, be putting right on tape. I said, yes, I can. He said, all right. So he hung up. So I got up and walked up to the door and told Brown. I said, well, Brown, I'm going down. Look, my dog's over to see that none of them didn't get scratched up yesterday, which I knew there wasn't any of them hurt. So I went on down to the dog pens and talked to them and told them what a good job they'd done and petted them around and looked them all over and came on back and I walked in. I was keeping good track of the time. I walked in and sat down just in 14 minutes. Well, just 15 minutes on the dot, that phone rang. And I said, Dale Lee, game management, Dale Lee speaking. And that old boy said, well, have you taken your notes? I said, yes, I have. He said, are you ready to go? I said, I'm ready when you're ready. So he said, okay. He says, start. So I just started right off, and I told that story right from the start. I told about two soldiers talking when I was telling them about tying a line one day and then pointing to his head and then turning his finger around and around and pointing at me that I was crazy. And that's when I made up my mind to tie that big line and show them. So I told all that, and I told how I hollered and yelled at old Larry to hold that line still. And all that I could think of, of the things that I'd tell them guys to do. And finally, when I got through, well, I said, that's it. And this old boy said, that's the greatest story I've ever heard. And so then, the next morning, they called up from the University of Tucson. And they said, say, who, who has got that tape? I said, about roping and tying that line. I said, well, far as I know, the public relations office has got it. They said, well, now, we want that tape if we can get it. I said, what are you going to do with it? They said, we're going to use it here in the University of, it, it was uh, ASU, the University of Arizona here in Tucson. They said, now, would you give us permission if the Army will let us have a, a copy of that tape to use here at the University? Would you be willing to let us do that? I said, well, now, listen, that would be perfectly all right with me if it will help any of those university students, well, that would be a pleasure to me for them to use it. So they called the public relations office, and the public relations office told them if they'd come down, they could get a copy of that tape, and they sent a car the next morning down and picked up a copy of that tape. And they told me that they got a copy. So I was... Told Brown, I said, well, what do you think of that? He said, well, I can tell you the reason they're going to use it. Of course, he was a college graduate. I said, what are they going to use it for? He said, they're going to play it to those university students and tell them, say, this is the way not to lecture. I said, well, you may think it's that. But I said, they're going to show them how a man ought to make a lecture. So that was real funny and a day or two, we'd usually go down in town and have lunch. 
So this soldier that was with us, in just a day or two, he and I went down and walked into a little restaurant there that we ate at pretty often and, and just got sat down and ordered lunch and not a minute in come, come a couple of fellows that we didn't know and far as I knew we'd never seen them. And they sit down pretty close to us and one of them says, you know, says that little old radio up there on the post has been a playing that tape that they made about those nuts down there at game management a roping and tying a big mountain lion. And that old boy says, you know, says them old boys must be crazy if they'd rope and tie a lion and a big male. And says, I know they done it because says, there's lots of people went up there and looked at it. And we just looked at one another and never said a word. And we finally finished our meal and got up, paid our bill and walked out. And when we walked out, well, they were still talking about roping and tying that line. And I told that old boy then, I said, well, you know what they think about us up that game management if we was that crazy. But I said, we didn't do anything crazy. We just roped and tied him up. And in the meantime, well, them two old boys that pointed his finger, this old boy that pointed his finger at his head and made his finger go round and round and pointed his finger at me that I was nuts and telling a great big lie when I told him about roping and tying the line, these same two soldiers come down, just I think it was the next day after we'd, we roped it, tied it up and put it in the cage on Sunday, I think they come down about in the middle of the morning Tuesday. Wanted to see that line. We had it locked up. And I said, I'm not going to show you guys no line. Oh, come on. We know you got one. I said, well, all right. Yes, we did. We roped and tied a big male line. Come on, let us look at him. I said, no, I'm not going to. They said, why? I said, well, you've been pointing your finger to your head and, and making your finger go around and around and pointing pointing it to me that I was crazy. So I'll just let you guys just know I'm good and crazy because I'm not going to let you guys see it. And, well, I intended to let them see it. And, but I called them around there for a while and then went up and unlocked the door and let them take a look at that line. And they looked at him a long time. And finally, when they walked out, I said, now listen. The next time I tell you guys anything, I don't want you a pointing your finger at your head and, and going around and around with it and then pointing at me that I'm crazy because I proved what I was a telling and I'm just a wondering if you guys can tell anything that amounts to anything and then prove that you can do it. And they just laughed. They're great big husky soldiers, and they just laughed and went on and said, now we learned something. So, folks, that is the line that you saw roped and tied up and was put on the program, the TV program that you asked for it. And now this was first shown probably in maybe 66, 67, somewhere along there, was the first showing and it was shown all over the country and then there was another showing about three years after that and then there was a recent showing that was just shown 
and then some places what it was shown just a few days ago and i heard from ohio that about a week ago that a fellow that knew me there had seen it in ohio so i guess it's going all over the united states again and i knew it was shown in tucson and they called me there when it was shown but i didn't get to see it but they also quite a few of them right here at uh, Springdale, Arkansas, seen it just a few days ago. Well, I never dreamed when we was roping and tying that old line that thousands of people and maybe millions would ever see that line on TV. And of course, that at that time that it never entered my mind. But I but I know that many and many a person has saw that program. You asked for it because it's, I've heard of it all over the United States at three different showings. Well, this is a hunt made somewhere around 59 or 60, and this is in the swamps of Nayarit, Mexico. Now, Nayarit, you know, is a state on the west coast of Mexico, and it is the third state down, and uh, they're, they're real swamps. Well, this old fellow came to hunt with us, and he was a man way up in years, and he couldn't walk through the swamps when he was getting walking in the mud and water, and it was hard going. He couldn't go but very little ways. So I knew that it was going to be a hard deal to ever get him a, a jaguar. He done well to ride straddled out in the boat. So anyway, we left her our main camp and took enough stuff to just to do a couple of nights. And we went down and into kind of the edge of the swamps, where the swamps was a, a quitting and you couldn't get a boat very much farther. <clears throat> and we called that night from midnight on to daylight and didn't hear a thing. And the next day we left him in, in our little old camp and we made a pretty good circle and found the tracks of a female jaguar that the dogs could smell it, but they couldn't run it. So we knew it wasn't too old. So we went back and loaded up our little old camp again, and we went as close to there then with the boats as we could go. <clears throat> and so we stopped them and got out and it was about a hundred yards up to a little bunch of trees there so we could make a little camp so we packed everything up there to make this camp well when it went to getting late in the afternoon well <clears throat> i had my nephew with me ernest lee's oldest boy and his name was ernest and we all called him sonny and i said well Sonny, I said, I'm going in there and put up that mosquito net and roll that blanket out, and I'm going to get on it because I've been without sleep so much. I'm always, I'm, I'm real sleepy, and I'm going to get in there and go to sleep. I said, and we hadn't got our, no alarm clock here with us, so I said, you set up till midnight, and at midnight you wake me up. Then I'm going on up here a ways and see if I can call that jaguar. I said, I haven't seen the 
sign of any big males in here, but that was a good big female. So, so I did that. And that was before sundown. Well, I went right to sleep. And just as is getting good sundown, just dusk, well, he come in there and poked me with his foot. Woke me up and I said, what do you want? He said, right straight up here, there's a jaguar roaring. And it's already started roaring. And Phyllis and I have sat there and listened at it. And we've heard it three times roar, and we could hear it plain. <clears throat> so I got up and walked out there and sat down there with them, and we was listening, and it did cut loose, and you could hear it good and plain. Well, right up about a quarter of a mile, I don't imagine it is any farther than that. I imagine about like that. There was a little old Mexican ranch there, and they were milking a few cows, and they're making what they call queso. And that's a, that's a Mexican cheese. And now in a minute they begin to beat on fans and holler and hoop and yell up there and make all kinds of noise. And I told one of these Mexicans that is a working for me, I said, you run up there and tell that outfit to be quiet. So he hit a high run and he was up there in a little while and told them. And now in a minute he came back and there was two of these fellows from this ranch with him. And they said, well, that jaguar doesn't pay any attention to us. Says it comes down there sometimes and runs their cattle right out of the corrals and us a, and us a beating on pans and a hollering and a hooping and a yelling and they're trying to, trying to run it off. Says it's not afraid of us. I said, well, now listen, maybe it isn't afraid of you, but it don't help anything. I'll tell you that. And if you want it killed, well, you better you better stay quiet and ha and keep them all up there at the ranch quiet. So they said, well, we told them not to make any noise after we left, and said that we won't, cause we certainly do want it killed. And they said, say if you're go going to go after it with those dogs, we'd love to go with you. And I said, all right, you can you can go. So after it roared several more times, I told Sonny, I said, well, I'm going in there and lay back down and go to sleep. And as long as that thing is a roaring there and a staying around, well, you just let me sleep. But if you think it starts off and gets fainter, well, you wake me up and I'll call it back. Because I know the way it's a roaring, it'll come to a call. And he said, all right. But I said, anyway, you wake me up at, at midnight, whether it's uh, trying to leave or it's just a staying around in that one area. And he said, okay. Well, he did. He woke me up at midnight, and it was still close to that same area. So when them other, there's three guys come from that ranch to go with us, so that made lots of people. So I had eight dogs. So we got up and started up towards where that's, this Jaguar was, and we had our dogs. I had a man leading each dog, and I told him to be sure that those dogs didn't bark. And the dogs weren't very bad to bark unless you turned them on to a track because I'd worked on them for barking because you didn't want them to be noisy down there. So we decided then that we'd leave the boys with the dogs, and we went on up probably two or three hundred yards from the dogs and got out in a little opening there 
under the shade of a great big tree that was uh, <clears throat> really shady. Now the moon was uh, uh, right over the, right at the top of the, and shining right down on us. It was just about a full moon and it was really bright. And I had the two Mexicans in this client with me, this old feller, and me. And one of the Mexicans was doing the calling. And he was a good caller. So we started calling it. And we wasn't too far from it when we started calling. And it just roared and came right down there. Well, I guess that it knew this people there. Because it wouldn't come out in that opening. I was going to try to let that old fella kill it if it come out and come any ways close to us in the moonlight. But it'd just walk around us out in the in the jungle there, and it would just roar and snort. Well, it kept that up from about twelve thirty that night till daylight. And when daylight started to come in, well, it started to leaving. Well, now we could have turned our dogs loose, but it had made tracks there literally all night long. Just around and around and around. And when that happens, it's hard for your dogs to ever line out the right track to where it's really left because there's so many tracks there and they're all about the same freshness that they can smell a jaguar just about any place to put down their nose. So I sent back for the hounds and they come a leading them up. So we eased on up and started towards where we heard this jaguar roar, roar last and walked quite a ways up there and we kept a calling every once in a while and it never answered anymore. But you know, I forgot to tell about the way that old man done when we was under that tree. I calling it. He got to shivering and shaking. And he says, I've got to go back to camp. And I said, what do you got to go back to camp for? He says, I've got to get my jacket. I'm a freezing to death. I said, you can't freeze. It never freezes here. Never. It's never froze here. So you can't freeze. Well, he said, maybe I can't. But I feel like that I'm freezing to death. And I just got to go back to camp. I said, well, I don't know what you're going to do. But I know one thing you're not going to do. You're not going back to that camp. Because if you go back to that camp, well, that thing will come up here and try to lick us in the face. And we don't want that. And you're going to stay here. Well, I'm a freezing. So I had on a little old jacket. So I took off my jacket and put on him. But he shook just the same. So I think it was just the jaguar roaring that is making him shake instead of him being cold. But anyway, after that, we didn't hear that thing roar any more. Well, we went a ways farther. And I said, well, boys, we're going to call one more time from here. And if that thing doesn't answer, well, we're going to turn old Brownie loose. And this old boy cut loose and roared. And that thing right a little bit off to the left. And it wasn't over 200 yards from us just really cut loose, and what I mean, it roared. And this Walter Kellner, that was a baseball pitcher from Tucson there, he'd come down and help me till spring season, and he'd go back. And he talked good Spanish and was lots of help and a good worker. And he says, 
Let's turn them loose. Let's turn them loose. And I said, get back there, Walter, and, and whispered to him, and shut up, and y'all, you guys stand there quiet. And now here was four of us standing abreast, and there was eight men lined up right behind us, and each man hold of a dog. And we just stood there for quite a little while, and, and we were just sparse bushes out in front of us. And now in a minute here, that jaguar come a-marching right down through those bushes and right to us. And I had this old man that was the hunter right on my right. And these, these two Mexican boys are standing on my left. And I just whispered over to that old man and said, there it comes, kill it. And he said, where, where? And I said, right in front of you, right in front of you. There it comes, walking right down through those bushes. And he couldn't see that thing to save his, his neck, and it was just as plain as it could be. Now, it was light enough out in the opening that you could see all right, but if you got in the jungle, it'd be kind of dark. He says, I can't see it. And now in a minute, that thing raised up and seen us standing there, and it just wheeled to the left and went to running. And I just jumped back there and grabbed the net nearest dog to me, and jerked that little rope off of him, and I just took him by the nap of the neck, and I just yanked him over there to that jaguar track and pointed him in the right direction and said, get him. <laughs> and uh, I'd already told these other fellows to, to holler to him just as I got the jaguar track, turn them loose. And they was all ready, and they turned those hounds loose, and boy, the race is on. Of course, that track was just, well, just jump track, that's all, the animal right in front of them. And boy, there was lots of noise there for a little while, and I imagine for five minutes or something. And now in a minute, every dog just shut up, just completely shut up and didn't a dog bark. And we had eight. And one of these guys from down at that ranch says, oh my gosh, says, just think how close we got to that thing and now it's going to get away. And this old fellow that had hunted with me so, so many years and helped so much turned around to he, this guy and he said, now listen, he said, you shut up. said, I don't know what happened, but I can tell you one thing, that Jaguar will never get away. And I imagine five more minutes and we just stood there. Well, one old hound says, wow, wow, treed. And in a little bit, well, they were all barking treed. So we started dumb, and then we found out what was wrong. Now, this thing, Jaguar, hit what we called a wamara thicket. Now, the, the, those wamara <coughs> would grow up about three feet tall, and then the leaves had been back to the ground. And the leaves would be <clears throat> three or four inches uh, wide and go up about from two to three feet and then come back down to the ground. And all up and down every leaf, it had big stickers, big hooks on it, just like kind of like a cat claw, only lots bigger. And they were murder on a dog, and they were sure bad on a man, too. When he went into them, they'd just rip him if he didn't have on real tough 
trousers, well, they just cut his legs all to pieces, and that's what had happened. That jaguar could get through those wamara thickets lots better than the dogs, and when those dogs hit that wamara thicket, well, they just had to ease through there, and uh, and this thing was treed right out in one of those thickets. So we went around there and cut our way into the nearest place that was the nearest to the tree and with machetes, and that jaguar was bait, uh, was treed good, and he was high, and it was high. It was a big female, and it and. Still, it was so early that this old man couldn't see the sights of his gun. So we had to stand there for about 15 minutes until finally it got light enough he could see his sights good. And, of course, I always caution them, be sure and see if you can't kill that thing and kill it and have it dead by the time it hits the ground. Because if you don't, that's when we've got lots of dogs hurt that way. But he was all right. After he could see his sights, he raised up and killed that thing. And so we just put it on a pole and packed it back to camp and got our little camp in our boats. And we was back to that main camp within a, a couple of hours. Took us about two hours traveling time, maybe two and a half, to get back to our main camp. And of course, we'd already gutted the Jaguar, so we jerked it it out and skinned it and took care of the hides and uh, that was the end of a hunt that that was a good one and we were lucky that we could ever get a jaguar up a tree and get that old man to one because he he couldn't walk to do no good and he done well to ride in the boat <laughs>